Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. MWWire.com is where you find our written stuff online. Twitter, MWC Wire, where we uh, basically let you guys vote and pick and choose what team we're going to preview about hours before in some cases. And, uh, Matt, we are talking about uh, your favorite team in the Mountain West, correct? Fresno State? That is correct. So so what is your favorite team? So this is going to be so biased against everybody. Like, oh, they're the best. They're going to be so good. They're going to be 25 and 0 and never lose a game, right? That's where you're leaning, I'm assuming. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that you're joking. People may not realize um, we're because, joking. But, but I feel like I should explain for, for people who may be relatively new to the podcast that uh, uh, if you're not familiar with the Fresno State fan base, you know, uh, high expectations tend to make Bulldogs fan, at least, you know, reasonable Bulldogs fan sort of uneasy. It was like being a Giants fan up until like 2010 where they would always find like a really agonizing way to, to, to blow things up or to, to just fall just short. You know what I mean? That's, that was sort of my life for, for, for most of my sports. Um, So I think, uh, you know, obviously one has sort of resolved itself over the last decade or so. And the other one is still um, uh, to be determined, I guess you would say. 
Wait, so which one is to be determined? Because Fresno State has done pretty well, but not achieved the pinnacle of what you're referring to. Because we do all remember the Black Friday San Jose State game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, you know, that, that's just like one example. Of course, everybody remembers the Reggie Bush game from 2005. It's, it, it, you know, the, the program has a way of, of like, which is not to say, like you said, that they have not been successful but they still haven't quite reached the same ceiling as, as other teams have. And so, um, well, no, no, no. Say maybe other, it's a really good, let's rephrase it. Let's say other team in the conference hasn't achieved There's only one team that's achieved what you're looking for. Yeah. So a big time bowl game, San Diego state hasn't done it. San Jose state, Utah state, only one team has done it. So don't sell yourself short. That's multiple teams. There's one team that has achieved what 11 other have not in the past uh, yeah. 10 plus years. So, and that's what we're getting at. So, yeah. So, Fresno State's a team this week. And as we do every every show, we kind of go back and take a quick um, biopsy or look back at last year where Fresno State was good enough to um, lose their head coach to uh, Washington with uh, Kellen, De- Kellen DeBoer going to uh, back up north. But we're returning. Well, I guess we'll get to the returning coach minutes of Tedford, which who's back. So what, what was your biggest takeaway yeah. last year? Was it the arrival of Jake Hayner, who said, hey, I'm really good. I'm going to throw it to Jalen Cropper. I got Ronnie Rivers. Some of those guys are gone. And they became a team that was, like, really, really, really good. Well, you know, it, it didn't show up in the win column back in 2020. But, like, you know, Hayner had himself a pretty good year that year. They were only 3-3. Three and three, But, you know, he led the Mountain West that year in, in yards per attempt. You know, he completed 64% of his passes. He had, you know, 14 touchdowns and five interceptions in six games. And then, you know, they went out and they they asked him to do, a, you know, just as much over the course of a whole season. And he answered the bell. You know, he was, you know, number two in the conference behind Logan Bonner in terms of yards per attempt with 8.4 uh, YPA. Up his completion percentage to 67%. And that was sort of like a microcosm of... The way that I described it when I was sort of putting together my notes was, you know, last year's Fresno State game team was another very good Bulldogs team that wasn't far away from true greatness. And then I put in parentheses, what else is there? Yeah, don't because, have six picks yeah, versus Hawaii and blow that game. That's a problem. Yeah, because, and you know, when you when you look at sort of the, the whole tapestry, you see on the one hand, like, you know, they were four and two in one score game. So maybe they were a little bit lucky to win as many close games as they did. But then at the same time, you know, they found ways throughout the year to win in a number of different ways, you know, whether it was against, you know, Wyoming or San Diego State with their defense or, you know, rallying against Nevada or UNLV with the offense. But like you said, you know, the, the Hawaii game, the Boise State game, you know, I, I always say a lot. In well, these, even in Oregon, like they, were, they, were, they were leading Oregon in the second half and lost that game by touchdown. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, the the two conference games in particular were like real clunkers where it wasn't like everything went wrong, but a lot of things went wrong in both of those games. So, I, you know, I say that going undefeated is like the, maybe the hardest thing you can do in college football. I think there's a reason that I think, what is it, only only Utah in the history of the Mountain West has gone unbeaten or did TCU do it once? I'm trying to remember. Um, I know Utah did it twice. I'm not. I'll check a TCU Tank Carter Rose Bowl team win, but I th- they probably had to be undefeated. But you know, but on the whole, like this was still like a very good team across the board. Like even despite you know the the down games that, that they had, you know they were they finished thirty third in overall SP plus, top fifty on both sides of the ball. 
They were in the top 30, 30th actually in, in net points per drive, 23rd in available yards percentage per drive. And, you know, like you mentioned, Kalen DeBoer has gone to Washington. Jeff Tedford is back in the fold. And the expectations are maybe higher than they've been. And I mean, what would you say, 2013? Like the, 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 the last Derek Carr year? Yeah. You know, this is a team that right now has the number one SP plus projection of any team in the Mountain West, 37th overall. You know, they're projected 27th on offense, 58th on defense. And, and and then on top of that, I believe they're also number one, or at least I think they're in the top handful of teams as far as overall returning production, too. They return 78% of last year's production. So, you know, I think we've sort of talked around in a couple of the questions that we got in in for this podcast. And one of them was, you know, can they make a New Year's Six Bowl game? Sure. But, you know, can they and will they are two very different things. And, you know, it, it comes back to you know, what somebody else, I believe, is uh, Travis Kierangel, the Hawaii guy. was like, why do they choke in big moments? <laughs> One of the replies was tradition. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, boy. Brutal. Which, you know, I, I can't help but laugh at it because it is sort of true. Like, you know, it seems like they have one of those games every single time they're on the upswing. You know, and that's, you know, even in the years that they have where they win 10 games or they're like right there. Yeah, everybody remembers the Reggie Bush game, for example, back in 2005. Push him out of bounds. A lot of people for oh my gosh. <laughs> a lot of people forget though that they lost every single game that they played for the rest of the year after that game. Mm. So, you know, and, and to sort of maybe wrap this up with one of the other questions that we received from Matt Kinishita, you know, they're talking about Tedford in particular. Does bringing him back inspire the same hope as if DeBoer were still around? In my opinion, the answer is yes. Like, this is one of the more complete teams anywhere in the Mountain West going into 2022. But they're not infallible. And they're, you know, they're not without some work to do in order to meet, you know, those these great expectations that are being thrust upon them. We also need to, part of it's because when Jeff Tedford took over for um, Tim Druder, what did he win? One game? When he got fired, he actually was technically hired midseason. <laughs> Like that was kind of awkward. Well, no, no. The the so you're thinking of the 2016 team that won. You were right. They won one eleven, and then Tedford came in the following year. They won ten games. Well, that's what I mean. Like, which was the biggest the biggest one year turnaround in in college football history. That's my getting at. Like he did that. Like, well, what can he do now? That's I think that's where the expectations come from because he turned around a team that and, was not. And then he got even better the year after that. Yeah, because he went yeah, to so a he sort conference of, title. Like. Yeah. You know, there may be some listeners out there who are, who are familiar with the plexiglass principle, which makes it, which is essentially in a nutshell, it's it's the idea that it's really hard to improve two years in a row in the way that they did. But he did that. And even in the last year that they had, 2019, it, that, that team wasn't a bad team. It was maybe a little bit unlucky, a little turnover happy, but, you know, they were right there in a lot of games, lost a lot of close games that year. And this year's team is in i would say much better shape than you know than that you know any of the previous uh you know you know the, any of the previous tedford teams yeah and when we'll get to the new year six possibility because almost any preview that's top 25 whether it's printed in like lindy's outline or the espn gets updated every other month or something like that they're not listed in there but that doesn't mean they can't be there because We'll get to everything really quick. They return clearly the best quarterback in the conference. I think so, right? Mm -hmm. 
like Doga Bonner's right there, but I don't think that's the case. They, like you mentioned, everything you, who they're bringing back 80, 78% total production, bring back the best coach, one of the better coaches in recent history at the, at the school, respected coach across the country. Their schedule looks, looking their schedule looks pretty nice. They bring back receivers. They have running back will be interesting because they have some depth there, but also injury stuff like who's recovered, who's back. But like you mentioned, everything's set up for them to be like a, a favorite to win the conference and possibly beyond. It's all it's all right there for them. It's just that, you know, the story as always is they got to go out and do it now. Yeah, and they've kind of done it. Right? Kind of? Kind of. Conference titles doing it. Back-to-back title game appearances does it. They've had number one draft picks overall. They've had multiple guys in the NFL do quite well. And now it's like, well, get past it and do it. And this year they have, in my opinion, we'll get the schedule, but they're two games on the schedule that are going to determine their fate this year. So, okay. We'll see how it goes. And really only one, really actually really only one, if we want to be real about it, only one game really matters for them. Well, not matters, but you'll get, you'll, you'll get my, my rationale later on, but there's one game that would make or break the season for what they really want to do. If they want to get to a near six game and it's, and it's not the game people are thinking. So we'll see. Ooh, okay. That no, that's a tease. Do you want to guess, or should I put a note here to ask? Yes, no, no, no. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hold off on that. We're gonna leave the listeners wanting okay. more. All right. So what do we get to offense? Because uh, start with Jay Kaner, I guess. Is that where we should begin? The yeah, nearly so. two-time Washington Husky player who decided not to go to Washington and follow his former coach. That that's true. The wor- the worst thing about the off season was those, and this is every fan base, and it's not, a, but it's not every fan who were giving him garbage and crap for leaving. I'm like, who cares? It, it can suck, but don't make it personal. Don't hang the banners they did. And then I guarantee the same fans, which we both know, oh, he's back. Awesome. He's our quarterback. He's amazing. Don't be that stupid fan. Mm-hmm. Just like, if he goes somewhere, you can be bummed about it, but don't get personal and be lame. But he, again, he's going, I'll give my pick right now. Like, we're filling out our all-conference stuff right now. He's going to be my first-team quarterback. And I'd have to double-check, but 98% sure he's going to be my preseason player of the year. Because he okay. he beat UCLA on a broken hip. Remember that we didn't even mention that going over last year. He beat UCLA. He couldn't even walk. Went down the field. Him and Jalen Cropper, Ronnie Rivers, and others drove down the field, and they got the victory where he could barely walk. Tough dude. Well, that's that's the thing of it, right? Is like you know, and the way I sort of frame it is like, is is Jake Hayner really the only thing that can stop Jake Hayner? Last year it seemed like because look at all the interceptions last year. A couple were the Hawaii game were. Cortez Davis making amazing picks, but they're – I'm not saying it's all on him, but interceptions lead or return to the quarterback despite a tip ball or just bad route running or something that's not always their fault. But the, the interception or the uh, – what do you want to put it? The uh, f- the black mark on that game goes against them. But <clears throat> sort of, but not really because pe- defenders make great plays. Guys tip a pass or whatever it happens. But he – I'll say yes, him, it's – He's the reason the stuff going on. Like he's going to win or lose because of him, what he does on the field. I think. Well, you overlook too that you know he got hurt during the UCLA game, mm-hmm. and then he was still hurt into the games that they lost later, like you know the Hawaii game in particular. Um, and so you know, that when I say is is he really the only thing that can stop him from being you know a successful first team 
all-conference type player. What I mean by that is, like, did you look at his splits between the 10 games that they won last year and the, and the three games that they lost? I did not dive that deep in him. What's I'm pretty sure, I, clearly, without even looking, they weren't as good in the games they lost. That makes the most, most sense. Most sense. Yeah, I mean, it, which is it's the true for 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 most individuals when I when I bring that up, and that was definitely true for Hayner. You know, in the ten games that they won, you know, his completion rate was eight percent higher than it was in the three games that they lost. You know, it was sixty one percent when they lost their games, sixty nine point four in the games that they won, eight point seven yards per attempt versus seven point four. Twenty two, t- excuse me, twenty seven touchdowns and only two interceptions in the wins. Six touchdowns, seven interceptions seven. in the games that they lost. Yeah, makes total and, sense. And you you mentioned you mentioned you know the the Hawaii game where he threw a bunch of interceptions, but like that was true in the Boise State game too. Yeah, four and three. He had three. He had three picks in that one. And so I, I that's all to say that like you know keeping him healthy is going to go a really long way. But at the same time, he isn't immune to forcing mistakes. And so, like, he's he's got a lot of talent around him. And, you know, clearly, like, when he's sort of firing on all cylinders, he can make plays and make the offense move as well as anybody else in the group of five. But at the same time, there's always that fear that, like, you know, good defenses are going to be able to find ways to sort of figure him out a little bit. Like, like Hawaii wasn't, like, the best defense in the Mountain West last year. But that was a team that knew how to get its hands on footballs. And, you know, that was one thing they did really well under Victor Santa Cruz for like two or three seasons. Yeah, the Nevada Same game thing with we Boise talked State about. Under, under Spencer Danielson. And so, yes, Jake Hayner is very good. And, and they're going to need him to be very good week in and week out if they're going to, you know, reach that sort of 90th, 99th percentile outcome. And two other games. Like the, uh, there can't be any clunkers this time around. And two other games against good defenses against Wyoming. Only won 17 to zero. He threw under 100 yards, 53% completion rate. San Diego State, yeah, good defense, 130 to 20. Yeah, he scored a had 300 yards, but only one touchdown. Didn't even crack 60% completion rate, which you're playing good defenses. That's to be expected. The Hawaii, he put up a ton of yards, a ton, ton, a ton of touchdowns, but took him 50 passes to get there. So yeah. this is not out of the norm. It's not like any great quarter any great quarterback is going to if you're like super elite, you know, it doesn't matter who you play against, but if you're playing against better defenses, you're going to not play as good as if you're playing like San Jose State where he was 75% completion rate or New Mexico 77% and 10 yards a pass mm-hmm. essentially, a pass attempt I should say or average the first time every time we threw the ball against UConn or Cal Poly and stuff. It's like it makes a difference of who you're playing against. Yeah, and and maybe to that end, if we can talk about the offensive line for a minute before talking about the skill position players, that I think is the biggest question on the side of the ball. Is the offensive line going to be up to the task? Because for the most part under DeBoer, they were better at, you know, they were better in pass blocking than they were in like, you know, run blocking. On the one hand, they had a 4.5 sack rate allowed. That was in the top 20. It was 19th in the country last year. But at the same time, going back to what I just said, good defenses found ways to get after him more often than not. Like Oregon had four sacks in that game last year. Hawaii had three. UCLA had three. Boise had five. So it wasn't like that, you know, the offensive line when it was sort of you know, set up to succeed that they were able to do so against, you know, maybe less than stellar pass rushes. 
but good defenses found a way to get he found a way to get after him, and that was true in 2022. When and although it, that year was, uh, you know, you could excuse COVID and, and protocols for sort of you know sort of uh, an offensive line in disarray a little bit, yeah. But at the same time, you know, you're still talking about a unit that was below average in line yards per carry, 87th nationally, 86th in opportunity rate. So they weren't necessarily you know enabling explosive plays from the backfield then they were 102nd in power success rate so in short yardage situations they weren't that great either and you know i I mentioned pro football focus grading you you know your mileage may vary but i think it is worth noting that none of the likely projected starters and and again this is a unit that i believe is projected to bring back four starters from last year from from last year's offensive line Mm -hmm. none of them had a grade above 59.9. Yeah, I'm looking at, I have Athlon's magazine in front of here. They go three deep, no offensive lineman from Fresno State make the top 15. So, which is all to say that the offensive line, just, just sort of like it did last year, could go a long way towards making or breaking this offense. Like when they keep him on his feet and they give him time to throw, there are a few quarterbacks anywhere in the country that are going to be better on a given Saturday. But if he's running for his life and he's for and, and he's, you know, they force and the defenses can force him into mistakes, that's where you can run into, uh, you know, a, a team that can snake bite this offense. Yeah. There's teams that either scheme or good enough, whether a few different ways they have a great position battle, like up front, or they, like I mentioned, do what Victor, what Hawaii did, or certain teams. If you, it's again, it, it's kind of cliche to say, oh, if you have time, he'll throw. It'd be great, but he's like an elite NFL type quarterback when you have time. Yeah, a lot of guys can be g- good if there's time to throw the ball, but he's really good and doesn't need like ten seconds. Clearly, he just needs just that little snap of his finger, half a second more, tenth of a second more, just enough to see where he can find who's open and doesn't have to worry as much. But it just takes a tiny bit of time, and if they can do just like the dumb thing we say, just be five percent, ten percent better. Just do a little. Give him, not the, like he clearly had it last year. The line was good enough. I don't. Am I? I'm not. Am, I'm. Am I recalling this correctly? He wasn't outside of a couple of games here or there. He wasn't like running for his life half the time. The offensive line wasn't that bad. Wasn't great. And if they can improve a little bit, but that's, it just makes too much sense when you have an elite quarterback, elite receivers. A running back with experience. If the offensive line can be average, that's all they need. They don't need it to be. They don't need to have three first-team guys all-conference. They can have, like, right here has none, but they can't be bad. If they're just average, that'll be good enough for this team against 90% of their opponents. No, and, and you're right about that because, you know, if you want to look at it in terms of raw numbers, which, you know, it, it isn't always as accurate as looking at rate stats, but, you know, you, you figured that they gave up 25 sacks in 13 games last year. So those those four games that I mentioned, you know, the uh, what was that? Hawaii, UCLA, Boise, and UCLA uh, and Oregon. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, four, 10. That's, that's 15 of the 25 sacks that they gave up in four games last year. So you're right. Like, you know, more often than not, it was a unit that was doing what it was supposed to do. But it wasn't an infallible unit, and that's really going to be the difference between you know a year sort of like last year and a year that surpasses it. Yeah, that's that's right. So they can just trim that down a little bit against the good because when they play USC or when they play Boise State, when they play teams that have good defenses and they play um, I don't think they play Wyoming, but um, San Jose State, like if if their defense comes back to what it was in twenty twenty, that could be a problem again in that game. 
But yeah, the with them, the best thing is, and we've mentioned mentioned this too all the time. They bring back four starters. They weren't elite. They weren't top of the line. But odds are they're going to be better. Even though experience isn't great, it's still there, and they played all these games. And mm-hmm. if you're if you're blocking for a quarterback that's really good and can get rid of the ball quickly and make moves on his own, it's going to make you look a little bit better. But again, if they with the experience back, they're going to have. I bet. The Mountain West, they do. They go two deep all conference. I'm betting when the postseason comes out, they'll have probably two guys on the first or second team overall. That's it. Not like a ton, but I could see two guys just because of the experience and how good I expect the team to be. Yeah, and I think you know having a little more stability will probably help too. You know because you know there was only one guy who, ironically enough, is the one guy they're going to have to replace from last year's unit. Alex Akingbulu was the only guy to start every game at the same position last year. You know, Dante Bowles started, you know, all but two games at left tackle. He uh, he had to get replaced down the stretch by Dante Adkins, started the last two. But, you know, other than that, you know, they had to move Bula Schmidt from, you know, right guard to center early in the year. They had to move Mosea Vival from left guard to right guard. You know, they had to, you know, move some pieces around. You know, some of which aren't returning. Like, you know, they had, I think Matt Smith medically retired. So did Dante Adkins. So there's going to be more expected of the guys who are coming back. Like, I, I don't know that depth is necessarily an issue. I think that they're pretty much set with the guys that they're going to run out there in the starting lineup. You know, I think there's potential for growth, but like, this is the one unit that like, there's a lot of proof it involved in my opinion. Yeah, just to be to go from being pretty good to really good, and that's where they need to prove yeah. it. That's where you're going to beat and beat these good teams, and maybe be a top twenty five team in a couple weeks. So, I that's, yeah, and and the other thing is too is like you know the guys that they were putting into the starting lineup. You know, most of them was a sophomore, mm-hmm. right? Same thing with Braylon Nelson. So so this is not an this is not a, a lineup without some potential for growth, not only for this year but for years to come too. I think you know the only guy who's out of eligibility after this year, if I'm not mistaken, is bowl. You know, yeah. everybody else, I believe, has a year of eligibility left at least. I think that's what uh, it's sure not here. more. Close to it. Yeah, at least starting-wise, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So what do we do about running but back? The ups- oh, but the sorry. upside is... Continue with that. I was going to say, well, I was going to say, you know, the upside is if everything goes according to plan... Oh, boy. Fresno State's probably in a better position than any other team in the conference to, to put up a lot of points. Yeah, because we'll get to receivers, Josh Kelly, Jalen Cropper, those guys. But let's go to running back. They lose Ronnie Rivers, who did everything for them. Ran the ball, caught the ball, returned punts, kicks, did all that. So I'm asking you, so I'm looking at a couple of things. I'm looking at Because you you set up the all-conference list to send the people out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the top 50 list we're working on. And depending on you listen, who knows when it'll be out or not. Probably not, because this is a couple weeks before. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm looking at what they did during spring football. Transfers. So, yeah, Jordan Mims, obviously. They got Jordan Wilmore. Who are some of these other guys? Jordan Wilmore left the program, actually. Oh, I want to put that out there. Shoot, Athlon failed me on that one. So that's the problem looking at. So I was looking at different things. So, because looking what, um, for, what was it? Um, 24 7, what's his name? Um, Jordan Jackson Moore putting stuff out like they get transferred from Missouri. They have guys who didn't play during spring. Like they have all these guys. I'm like, Javon Bigelow, like out with injury. So what's the running back situation? Because you fall more closely than me, and I didn't realize, unfortunately, Will Moore was gone, so that's a big deal. So, like, who is this team who – oh, yeah, no, he – yeah, they got guys leave the program, like Jordan Hornberg and stuff like that. Where do they stand behind Mims? Like, because he – I know – we know what he can do, and I know what he can do because he's backed up Rivers for a while. Who else do they got back there if it's not, obviously not Will Moore? Well, before talking about the other guys, I think it is important to talk about Mims and exactly what kind of role they envision for him, because I know that he's getting some all-conference hype in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm buying all the way in right now, because, you know, on the one hand, you know, when you look at all-purpose yards per play, which is, you know, rushing and receiving, essentially, in the case of running backs, per play last year, he averaged eight yards per play. Among the conference's running backs, that was fourth overall. You had the three ahead of him were Jordan Bird, Shamar Garrett, and Calvin Turner Jr. Only one so of those is star- he's got some, but only one of those is a starter. So that's even better if he's coming in to do that. Yeah, and so you know clearly, like he's got some explosiveness to him. Like just ask San Diego State fans how they feel about that <laughs> game last year. <laughs> yes. Um, but at the same time, you if you look at the 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 entirety of his career. He's only had seven games with more than 20 touches in 45 career games. So my question is, can he hold down a Ronnie Rivers-like workload? Because over the la- you know over the course of Rivers's career, like you know when they they didn't they weren't always relying on him to be that 20 carry guy, but you know he showed the capacity you know over you know seasons to be able to do that and and even. You know, in a lead back role, he was still averaging, I believe, 14, 15 carries per game, basically throughout the course of his career, uh, you know, setting records and all that. So so my question is, are they expecting Mims to do the same kind of thing? Well, or is it going to be a little more of a committee than everybody envisions? And in that particular case, the two guys I think you're going to want to know most immediately are Javon Bigelow, mm-hmm. who you know, if, if there are any Wyoming fans listening to this, you might remember him having a, a stint with the Cowboys a few years ago. And Malik Sherrod, who's a former three-star recruit from a recruiting class a couple of years ago. I think those two are likely to be his primary backups. But I'm but I'm wondering, like, you know, sort of how they envision the running game being. You know, like, are they expecting Mims to sort of be that early hammer? Or are they going to try and keep him fresh? By sprinkling in guys like Sherrod and, and Bigelow, or maybe someone like you know Jonathan Arsenault, who's a redshirt freshman, um, you know, it's sprinkling those guys in for like handfuls of of carries per game to keep Mims fresh, so that way in late in games, because this is going to be a fast a pass first team anyway, 
yeah. he could be the guy who slams the door in the third and fourth quarter. Well, here's the thing, too. Mims had more touchdowns to Rivers. He averaged more yards per play for Rivers. He's only 120-yard difference for, from Rivers overall last year. Like, their numbers were pretty close. Like, he was only 78 yards behind Rivers in rushing. Is that because he didn't – like you said, he wasn't the main guy. He'd come in later to get that. Like, there, he almost – he basically was as good as Ronnie Rivers last year. And so I think the main thing is, like, I don't see why his workload would change. I guess the only reason it would change because there's not the experience backup that they had last year, Rivers and Mims. So that's where mm-hmm. you're getting at, like, well, how much are they going to play him? Is he going to be an early early guy or do what, say, some teams do save him for the – not save him, but kind of pace him out throughout the game. So fourth quarter, you'll give him 10 carries in the fourth quarter when he had maybe seven in the first three or something like that or mm-hmm. – where he would be able to build up. Like we all remember when um, Alexander Madison, Boise State, we remember the title game. He, They had a couple of backs, and he took took over the fourth quarter and just ran over everything against Fresno State in that title game against teams. So they want him mm-hmm. to be that. So his numbers are – I'm betting, based on what they have going forward, they're going to want to put the trust in him more than these other guys, which means he'll have more carries, more attempts than last year. But his, but what he can do, like the production of like six point eight yards per play, catching slash receiving, probably take a step back a little bit. But he'll still his production overall. Like I don't, I honestly don't. I wouldn't be surprised if he were to have like thirteen hundred total yards, because Fresno will pass the ball a decent amount. He had three hundred twenty four receiving yards last year. He might go like nine hundred and five hundred. I think I don't think that's unrealistic overall, based on if you kind of look at what Rivers and him did. And with him getting a bigger percentage of the workload compared to the other guys, at least throughout the first month of the season, until they realize, okay, you this backup can handle and as many as enough carries to be as good when Mims is not in the game. And I think that may take a minute or two to get there. So that's why I think it won't be as even, but it's going to be him getting more carries and trying to keep that production up will be high. But if he gets it within, like Rivers was five point nine, if he can be between five and a half and six, that's probably good enough for this team. I but probably a touch higher would be ideal. I mean, it definitely would be. I mean, the other thing I wonder about too is, you know, how, like, whether they're going to try and put the other running backs in a position to be sort of a Ronnie Rivers like threat out of the backfield as a pass catcher, too. Because that's, that's one thing that, that DeBoer really carried over from, you know, from Tedford is that the the running backs at Fresno State have been very active pass catchers Mm -hmm. seemingly since like, you know, the last five, six seasons. You know, just for instance, between Rivers and Mims alone, they averaged five yards catch last year, five yards, five catches per game last year. And that was ne- not necessarily out of step with what, you know, they did in years past too. Like in 2020, for example, Rivers himself averaged four and a half catches per game. Uh, you know, the year before that, 3.6. The year before that, you know, 2.4. But Mims also had, you know, 1.8. So like this is a this was a team that has never been shy about you know finding ways to to dump off the ball to the backfield to to the running back into the backfield and letting them create plays in space, and I wonder if maybe that's a better fit for someone like Sherrod, who you know five eight one eighty, you know maybe they can you know have him play between the tackles, but maybe they also swing him out and let him create in space as well. I think that's their plan because that's why would they change their offense? Because DeBoer was the OC with Tedford, so it's not going to change all that much. He's seen what's mm-hmm. been successful, and Tedford was gone for only for a couple of years. Now he's healthy. His heart issues or whatever it was, is, it's much better. It's in a good place for him to be able to coach again. So it's not it's mm-hmm. not as if there's a 
new scheme coming in. Like, well, why screw with something that's already worked well? We'll just, he's like, oh, it's got new players. And he knows some of these players too before. It's like he's been around these guys. So that's what exactly. we expect the offense to be. Like, not dump off passes, but it could be eh, maybe a little bit. But there's going to be designed passes where it's going to the running back. Where and we'll get the receivers moving the receiving group, but the way they pass the ball, that's going to be a big deal because if they're going downfield the cropper or throwing big big plays down to the to the receivers out there like in Josh Kelly, well let's run a passing play that's like their ideal is going to be. They know it's their main number one target is going to be the running back, but they'll let the receivers go downfield and rush, make a play or go go deeper. I should say to give all that space to give a running back to where yeah it's not necessarily a screen it's kind of just a a delay, like one of those delayed plays. Well, he'll block and then go out and eventually be open. He's their main guy. And if the receivers, tight ends are downfield, they give him all that space and a running back in space, the speed he has. And that's what we're going to see them doing. That makes what their passing game much more difficult to defend when they have two elite receivers, arguably the best one in the conference. You take those guys downfield and you live all this space to your running back. Like they'll give those short, shorter, shortest passes or they'll make, Running backs the primary target on a handful of passing plays a game and see what happens. Get a big explosive play out there. Mm-hmm. So who's your favorite receiver? Is it just going to be Jalen Copper? Is he your receiver number one clearly by far and going to be a top? Is he your top receiver in the conference? Is that where you put him in the top fifty? Well, you know what? I don't have my top fifty in front of me, but he's—I mean—he's definitely in the conversation. What receiver is better than him? I guess I'd have to think about it. Okay. I'm just, I'm not at the point in spot. I'm just thinking like Devin Tompkins is gone. Romeo Dubs is gone. Trey McBride's gone. Kalisha Kier's gone. Um, Nick Martiner's back. He had a ton of yards per game, but I don't no, know no, no. He's at, he's at Cincinnati now. Oh my bad. I, I'm just going off the CFB stats real quick. I'm like, okay, he's okay. He's Cropper's the leading returning receiver in yards per game, and uh, I believe yeah. catches and yards. So if you say somebody else, we question your fandom here, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll be okay. You say that, but also, you know, if you look at Josh Kelly, for instance, yeah, he had 30 fewer catches. He only had one fewer chunk play on the season. You know, Cropper had 14 catches of, of 20 plus yards. Kelly had 13. We averaged more, per and play then you know, even even further down, like you know, this is a wide receiver group that had you know a whole bunch of guys who could you know get down the field and and pick up chunk yardage. You know, like you know, Zane uh, Carrick Wheatball who's basically the only major contributor who's not back. You know, he averaged 16 yards a catch last year, um, you know, eight catches of over 20 yards and 38 total catches. You know, same thing with Zane Pope, only what, 25 catches, seven of them went for over 20 yards. You know, same, you know, Trey Watson, four catches of 20 yards in how many did he have last year? 10. Yeah. Well, I know 10, Cro- 10, 10 yeah. total receptions and four of them went for over 20 yards. Well, I know Cropper's not their that deep threat. Just saying overall, like touchdown wise and what, but they they're they're loaded everywhere. Yes. Yeah. I mean, other than Wheatfall and, and Juan Rodriguez, every other wide receiver, every, excuse me, every other pass catcher. So we're talking running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. Every other person who had at least 10 catches last year is back. That's a big deal. That's a big deal for a team that wants to in my opinion, is going to be the conference favorite. Yeah, they're they're going to be able to throw bodies at you and and give you a lot of different looks. And that's why when they go tight three receivers, like that's the point I'm making. Like the what I mentioned before, them passing to the backfield, they can't just oh that's a passing play. It's going to go downfield. Well, they need to watch the whole entire field. They can't 
plays and, a and certain oh, by coverage. By the way, they also brought in Nico Remigio from Cal through the transfer portal. Yeah, he's a tight end, correct? No, um, no, he's a white no, I'm Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. Sorry, I looked the thing upside down. Eh, come on, Cal's offense. Sure, whatever, fine. <laughs> sorry, but don't, don't blame him for Cal's offense. I did. I just said the offense, so I don't know. Like he, for me, TBD. He like Cal is uh, Justin Wilcox is not an offensive guy. So I'm just saying, show me what you got. But I mean, this this is a this is an offense that has a little bit of everything it can throw at you. They've got big targets, both at tight end and wide receiver. You know, Trey Watson. Raymond Pauls, who's more of like the sort of traditional blocking tight end, but you know, he can catch passes too. You know, he had 17 catches, two touchdowns last year, but you know, even among the wide receivers, like we didn't even mention Ty Jones, who I know you had a, a sort of a big mm-hmm. preseason crush on last hey, year. He had a touchdown early on last year. So I'm just saying maybe I'm a year too yeah, early. You on. Know, <laughs> he, you know, he, he might be in line for like a bigger red zone threat too. You know, same thing with Pope, you know, even Zane Pope is six foot two. He's like, they've got big targets. They've got speed targets they've got a little bit of everything that they can attack you with and the depth, obviously. Yes. What's your biggest concern on, is it just the offensive line? Do you have any other concern? Like, well, that's thinking about like that. If, if, if would... it's not the offensive line, I think the next most pressing thing is just making sure they keep Mims healthy. That's what I was thinking to you. Depth at because... running back experience and playing time behind him is limited. And then. Yeah. But I get, but I guess the good thing with that, and not not a good thing, but the way they play, at least they've had in the past. I'm assuming, like I said, Tedford's going to keep a similar scheme and play style. They'll get to play early on and get in there when they play teams. So, yeah, like they'll they won't be thrust in there. They'll be getting when they open up the season. Well, I got their old schedule, but Cal Poly, Oregon State, like they'll get plenty of time in Cal Poly. Oregon State will be a tough one, but they'll be playing early. They won't be just thrust in when they play midseason if he gets hurt. Like versus San Jose State or New Mexico, and it's like, oh, week seven, I have eight carries. That's not gonna be the case. Mm-hmm. What about the defense? Because um, it's um, clearly not as explosive as the offense, which nothing really is in the conference. <laughs> I guess that's where we start. What do you did when we look at the defense? That, depend, that depends on your definition. Well, I think offense, and is I think explosive, and I think general. you know what one question that I have right away. Is you know they of course they elevated Kirby Moore, the offensive coordinator. You know, he I think he called plays at the very end of last year when there was sort of that coaching exodus going on. They also brought in a new defensive coordinator in Kevin Coyle, who you know is familiar with the program. He was formerly a defensive coordinator at Fresno State under Pat Hill back uh, you know from 97 to 2000. Guy with plenty of NFL experience as both a position coach and a coordinator. You know, he's developed, you know, all you know. Pro Bowl type guys. Most recently was a senior defensive analyst at LSU. But I, I I was I look at that, I look at his resume and I think, okay, well, obviously it's gonna be really hard until we get to the season to know what he learned from being an analyst in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But also, like it's been a little while since he's had a huge impact as a defensive coach. <laughs> And so, like, and so just for example, I mean, like he was the head coach, he sort of got thrust into a head coaching position in the in the Alliance of American Football, if you remember that from a few years ago. Yeah, it lasted seven um, other 12 you know, games or something. Yeah, he was supposed to be the defensive coordinator. He ended up as the head coach instead. And his team, Atlanta, uh, ended up giving up the most points in the league. Yikes. Before that, you know, he was a defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. 
And, you know, for those people out there who aren't familiar with, you know, DVOA, first of all, I would recommend Pro Football Outsiders. The Almanac is coming out soon. Yep, I, got I would my, say got my email. buy it, enlighten yourself as a football fan. But but to circle back around, his those two defenses in 2016, 2017, 15th and 18th in past events DVOA. And for that, four years as a defensive coordinator with the Miami Dolphins, he was never better than 15th. So why did he get this job coordinator? Why is he the defensive coordinator? Just because he knows Jeff Tetford? Seems likely. That was, okay, so that was a theme among all of the coaches that they hired. Well, well Tim Skipper Every single and coach that they Franklin. hired has familiarity with the program in some way, shape, or form. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But when he – like, you, you rattle off what he did, and, like, Cole doesn't seem like a qualified guy for the job. Why would you want him? It seems like there could have been better better candidates for this position. But, you know, like, like they say that, you know, he, he helped out with, you know, Leon Hall and Jonathan Joseph. But that was like how long ago was that? That was like 15 years ago, at least. Yeah, that's my point. <laughs> but 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 I'm also gonna I'm also gonna reserve like all of my some of my judgment at least because you know I would imagine being an analyst if it if it worked as well for them as it has worked for other programs around the country hiring SEC analysts, then you know maybe it'll work out and this is all being overblown. But I think you know he's walking into a situation where you know, there are questions to be addressed. And if you, if we want to start up front, I think the first priority, the first priority, excuse me, is restocking the pass rush. Yeah. They, because that was one of the things where, you know, maybe it wasn't as dominant as, as some other teams in the conference that we've talked about in these preview podcasts, but, you know, by a lot of those same metrics that I, that I mentioned, I had concerns about the offensive line. They were really good across the board by all of those same metrics on defense last year. Line yards per carry allowed, they were 26th in the country. You know, opportunity rate, they were just outside the top 50, but by power success rate, 62.5%, that was 33rd. Stuff rate, they were 25th. Um, you know, one in every five plays, they were stopping at or behind the line of scrimmage. Team sack rate, 41st overall in the country, 7.5%. But now he's stepping into a situation where a lot of those impact players are gone. And so... You know, which is not to say that the cupboard is totally bare, but they're going to be counting a lot on, you know, guys who were, you know, role players last year, part-time players taking on bigger roles and hoping that they can have the same kind of results that, uh, in particular, Kevin Atkins and Aaron Mosby had, because that was about 40% of last year's sacks between the two of them. They have, like, overall the defense returns a bunch, but the defensive line up front, like you mentioned Atkins, he's gone, seven sacks from last year. I believe, okay, maybe I'm, I studied and research here, but um, just because I don't want to mess up some. Is David Perala still back, right? I'm correct on that? Yes, he is. Okay, good. I'm looking and, at and, and he's, one, he's one of the best defenders in the conference. I don't want Athlon to screw me over again when I'm looking at CFB stats and other stuff. But no, he, yeah, he had seven sacks. They have him returning. But yes. overall, like you mentioned, Atkins gone. Other guys are gone, not coming back or just move on. Like Aaron, like certain guys are gone on this team that the sack rate, the tackles for loss rate, all those, a lot, enough of that is gone where. Yeah, secondary. They might have the best player in the conference defensively in the secondary. But up front, it doesn't matter if how good you are at safety or defensive back. If those guys have extra two to three seconds to get open, they're probably going to get open. You can't guard the guy forever out there. And so they need to have some sort of pass rush. And like you mentioned, those guys who need to step up need to – the role players from last year are going to come in and be the starters and hopefully the stars to be 
close. To, I don't know if they'll replicate last year up front, but be close to it would be nice. I mean, I think there's definitely the capability of doing so because, you know, even though Atkins is gone, the guy who had the second most snaps on the interior, Leonard Payne Jr., he's coming back. Yep, he is back starting. And yeah, even if he wasn't like, you know, all over the all over the place as far as being a disruptive player, like he had a pretty solid season overall. Like he, he played in 11 games, five TFLs. Like if he's playing more snaps, you know, in the same way that Atkins had led the team, I think he led the entire defensive line in snaps last year, if I'm not mistaken. But like, you know, if you extrapolate that by like, I don't know, 30% more snaps per game, like, I think that that kind of disruption can play over the course of a season. So, like, I think he's solid. I think that the bigger questions are in the other guys that they're expecting to step up and play more snaps. You know, your, your Evan Bennett's, you know, your Matt Lawson's and those types of guys. One guy I'm really interested in and in seeing how he sort of comes back into the fold is Isaiah Johnson. Because, you know, you're talking about a guy who, you know, back in like, you know, what was it, 2018, I think, or 2019, he was a guy who showed a lot of promise in his first year or two as sort of a part-time player. As a freshman, he had, you know, one and a half sacks, two TFLs in, in part-time duty. Built upon that a little bit in 2019, he had two sacks, four and a half TFLs in eight games. But then, you know, his, you know, the, the end of that year, 2019, was curtailed by injury. And it came out like, you know, earlier this year that he and DeBoer didn't necessarily see eye to eye as far as his role he was this close to, to transferring to UNLV, you know, came back into the fold, decided not to transfer. And now like he could be that guy that, you know, personally, I always envisioned that he could be, you know, if, if he had sort of come back and had a clean slate of health coming back in 2020 or whatnot, you know, he still, I think has the tools to be an impact player, but you know, I think that the good news is if you're looking for it, it's like depth here isn't really an issue either. Because they've get, they've had a bunch of guys who've shown in stints that I think they can step up and be productive. Bennett, you know, Matt Lawson, Johnson, Tebow Bridges, those types of guys. So I would say, if nothing else, like even if they don't have, you know, one guy who's going to go out there and get 10 sacks, they might have, you know, three or four guys who, who can go out there and get like three or four sacks apiece. And in that way, there may not be as much drop off as you might suspect. Well, and that, like, this may sound weird, that might actually be better because. If you have four guys who are a threat and not just one or two, mm-hmm. maybe that could say the sack number is exactly the same, but it's spread over four or five guys and not three. That yeah. that's a weird thing to say, but like, oh, because if they double the guy with double digits, well, the other guy makes the play. But if they're all productive enough, they can't double up very often unless it's the kind of the offensive play they want to run that way. They want to definitely make sure it works well. So that. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but I do believe if they have a handful of guys that can get close, get within, say, 90% of that production last year, but it's spread across everybody, that is a way where, okay, they can't make a, their focus on, hey, you, I see you, you're not making the play, but they can't put two guys or whatever their scheme to be. They have to play it straight up, essentially, and that might ultimately, if the experience is there and the production is there, that actually could be a way to improve this up this upcoming year, that front that they may not have the superstar. They still might. Somebody might emerge, but if it goes around town, if it's spread out, it's like it's like wide receiver group. If you got five guys like they have right now, they spread the ball to everybody. You can't focus on one guy. This front, if things go, that might be the best case scenario I'm leaning toward. But a bunch of guys can step in and play. Oh, I got to play a handful of games last year. The X amount of snaps, I'm upping that quite a bit, and they all play well. 
that's going to be great for the defense, and it kind of all leads. If they get to the front, it's going to help the secondary. That's really, really good. Well, and it's it's also going to be important to, to resolve, too, because Fresno State's got a lot of talent at linebacker, too. Yeah. And, and and I think one of one of the questions for them is you know if they're running a four two five in the same way that they they did pretty much all of last year, how are they going to get all that talent on the field at once? Which I think is sort of an intriguing thing because at least you know from my perspective, they've got four guys who are on the current roster, uh, you know Malachi Langley, Tyler Mello, Lee Bell Bailey, and Raymond Scott who could probably start anywhere in the conference. And, and they wouldn't look out of place as starting linebackers in the Mountain West. But, you know, with, with only two spots, like who, who's going to be the guys holding it down more often than not? I would imagine that, especially after last year, Bailey is definitely going to have one spot, you know, eight tackles for loss, you know, two interceptions, three and a half sacks, six passes broken up. That's a guy who could do everything and maybe didn't get enough credit last year as as being one of the better coverage tight ends anywhere, or not coverage tight ends, coverage linebackers anywhere in the conference. You know, you know Malachi Langley, interestingly enough, is the guy with the, you know, the, the the qualifying guy according to Pro Football Focus who returns with the highest PFF grade, seventy three point one. But you know, is he or are those guys going to get pushed by by Scott, who is a USC transfer, and you know has sort of the raw tools to maybe step in and be an impact player at least on a on a part time basis? And and then you got you know someone like Mello, who's been a part timer coming up. You know, he's a junior now, and he's he's flashed potential as a hard hitter in stints over the last couple of years. It's just you know what is that situation going to look like? You know, how are they going to get those guys on the field so that way they can take advantage of? their ability to to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's that would be quite helpful, wouldn't it? If they can do everything, pass rush. Yeah, because like, you know, all, yeah, all of those like all those advanced metrics I mentioned a minute ago, like the linebackers had, you know, a great deal to do with that, just as much as defensive line did. You know, the linebackers had a lot of ability to, to fly around and clean up and, and get into the backfield and, and make hay that way. And, and there, I think there's every reason to expect that they should be able to continue to do that. You know, especially a guy like Bailey, who, you know, for, for my money, is pro- was probably one of the more underappreciated players anywhere in the conference last year. If they, you're right. If they step up and do this, this team, again, the big th- picture theme is they're really dang good. They're going to be quite amazing. There's a, I think we're, I think the defense does have a little bit more work to do than the offense. Not a lot, but just a little bit. But if they can find, oh, this new guy, defensive tackle, is going to step up. The linebacker, we can get the right guys in the field. Maybe, I don't know, Matt, would they change the defense a little bit to put a a fourth, a different edge guy out there occasionally? I don't know. That might be a good thing to kind of mess with teams. Like, oh, we're going to put this extra guy out here on the edge. Like, that might be something they want to do. Coyle did say they were going to be multiple. There you go. And if you have have talent, get the guys on the the dang field who can play. Don't – if you're on a four three, but you have four crappy defensive linemen, you only got three good ones. Get the get the fourth guy out there. Yeah, and put you, the guy you, the edge. you know you know the problem with that though. What's that? They'll run against you. I don't know. Is that the the, the secondary is stacked too? Well, put fourteen guys like, on there. I don't care. It, <laughs> I, I mean, I say that because, like, obviously, I think it, you know most casual Mountain West fans are probably familiar with like San Diego State, for instance, or, or Boise State having a lot of impact players. Thank you
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. But, but Fresno State was pretty good last year, defending the past two, all things considered. Evan, it was actually the Bulldogs, for instance, who were number one in opponent's completion rate allowed, 52.1%. And that was like 3.5% better than the next team in the conference. And they were above average in terms of like yards per attempt allowed, 7.1, you know, 17 touchdowns uh, against 11 interceptions. Like this was a pretty good unit. And, you know, same as we talked about, like with the, with the pass catching unit on offense, you know, they, this is a team that returns basically every major contributor in this unit and picked up one of the best acquisitions from the transfer portal anywhere to sort of maybe put them over the top. Cam Lockridge is pretty good. Just saying. Uh, Pro Football Focus says he was Hawaii's best cornerback last year. You know, it's funny. I have my Athlon magazine just kind of for notes and stuff. They have him like as a backup. Like, what are you guys doing? No. <laughs> he. Well, that's that's the crazy thing. Like, the depth. He, he. I mean, he might be, but that's only because they've also still got Braylon Lux and Kale Sanders Jr., the yeah. latter of whom came on very strong at the end of last year. And, and maybe nobody noticed it because they only made about a month's worth of starts. They're going to need to – it's a good problem to have back there. Um, let me ask you this. This might be out there. Like, So Evan Williams is pretty good. He had – Yes. Um, he's done everything. Pass breakups, forced fumbles, a million tackles. Is there a chance a safety could be the best defender of the conference? And could it be him? Because the safety is hard yes. to do. Oh, you think so? Is it because you can't just hang out there and play – I'm not going to compare him to the guy, but I just, this guy's popped my mind. You took like Eric Weddle played safety and he would just kind of hang out there and make plays at the last second. You're not guarding the guy where he can just kind of, kind of not necessarily zone, but like you're kind of looking to make the big play because you're not really technically always hundred percent man coverage. Mm-hmm. That, I don't know. He's that good, but that big a guy with how many interceptions and pass breakups he's had recently the past couple of years. It's if he's that guy and kind of hang out there and see the ball come and make those plays like, there's a chance if he gets enough interceptions, he could be like the he might be the conference player of the year on defense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, according to to Pro Football Focus, third best overall grade of any safety in the conference last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the guys, one of the guys ahead of him, Jordan Lee, is at Washington State, and the other guy ahead of him, C.J. Baskerville. You know, another guy who, like we just mentioned, Sanders Jr., really only broke into the starting lineup late in the year. So and so he was able to do that over the course of like an entire season in a way that few other players were able to. And I know by the way, Elijah Gates is pretty good too. Like oh, he, yeah, yeah. he sort of maybe flew under the radar because Williams was so good last year. But like this is a this is a a unit that really doesn't have any weak links. They they've got multiple options who can start at basically every level, safety, cornerback, and and their but they were calling the Husky uh, uh, yonder, the former defensive coordinator, you know, Amari Pape, again, another guy who came on strong late last year, only had, you know, the one start at the very end of the year in the bowl game against UTEP, but, you know, was an impact player 
you know, even in a part-time role, five and a half tackles for loss. Um, you know, a very good run defender, it seems like. You know, when you look at like he was listed as a cornerback, but like his his run defense grade according to football focus was 10 points better than anybody else in the conference, I think. So I mean, it's something worth keeping an eye on. And I do think with this that, great talent back, if the defense, like defensive staff, I'm not a huge fan of it, probably be okay. But with this amount of talent back, it's hard for them to screw it up. Yeah. So I think that'd be fair to say. What do we got for special teams? Um, I mean, it's not without its questions. You know, they are replacing their kicker, Cesar Silva, who was, uh, you know, pretty solid if not necessarily in the same tier of performances like a, a Caden Camper or a Matt Ariza last year, but he was 11 and 15 from 40 plus yards. That's and good. that's going to be sort of difficult for Abraham Montano to replace just because, you know, the, he, he was five of five on field goal attempts last year, but I believe none of them were from beyond 40 yards. So we don't know exactly sort of what leg strength he has. It may also be sort of not a big deal if the offense is willing to be aggressive mm-hmm. anyway and go for it on fourth downs in sort of that maroon zone from the 20 to the 40, but we'll see. Yeah. Conversely, Carson Carson King had a pretty good season. You know, he helped the Bulldogs rebound to about the national average in net punting. You know, they were 113th nationally in 2020, 64th last year. Return game is a little more of a mystery, though, because... Jordan Mims was the primary returner, but if he's going to be the primary running back now, does that mean they're going to take that responsibility off his plate and let someone else handle it instead? Well, they brought in, um, what's his name? Um, shoot, I have him right here in front of Remigio? me. Yeah, Remigio. Sorry, I'm like, I saw. He comes from Cal, was quite well. I'm wondering if they may do what uh, San Diego State did. Was it Donald Pumphrey a while back where he'd come in mm-hmm. periodically? It's like, hey, we really need to play here. Go out there and kid return kicks because he was – for the Aztecs, he was the kick punt returner guy senior year. He took a handful. So I'm wondering if they'll have him from Cal and then maybe Mims come here occasionally, depending on the team or workload, because it could be a situation where, like you mentioned, if they're going to kind of slow play him a little bit, that might be an area where he can still touch the ball, where he may not necessarily be taking a beating on a typical handoff play or something on like return, which you could still get smashed on those. But there, there could be an opportunity for him to get another touch without having to kind of put his body out there as much as it would be for a typical running play or something. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. And also they haven't had a kick or punt return for like almost a decade, at least it seems like, or even longer. So maybe they'll break through this year. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, now it's time to get the scheduling. Let's do it. So I do have the team I talked about. It's probably, oh, we'll see who it is, but they used to open up the year. Cal Poly, who do they still, do the Mustangs still run that triple option out there in the West coast? Is that what they still do? No, they do not. Good. What do you got for the F- FCS mini? <laughs> so it, it, Cal Poly has been sort of an interesting program in the big sky over the last couple of years, mostly for reasons outside of their control. Like they only played three games during the spring season that the FCS level had back in 2021. Uh, part of that was COVID. Part of that was just they had a ton of injuries. Uh, that made it, if I remember correctly, it made it unsafe for them to continue in their opinion. Yikes. Um, and then last year, they played one of the most difficult schedules anywhere in the FCS. According to their their spring prospectus, it was the fifth hardest FCS schedule anywhere in the country. And oh, by the way, they did it with like a ton of young contributors. So, Bo Baldwin, 
going into his third year as the head coach, you might remember him from, you know, putting up video game numbers, Eastern Washington as an offensive coordinator sure you know, for that. Um, so like he's, he came from that same, you know, spread it out attack down the field that we talked about with Ian Shoemaker in our Hawaii podcast. Um, we're going to learn, I think a lot more about where Cal Poly actually stands now that everything is a little more centered because, you know, the quarterback situation wasn't great last year, but they have a starter that I think is mostly entrenched in Spencer Brash. You know, he's going into his junior year. You know, he's got a head sort of crash course last year. Um, you know, Fresno State fans will remember Chris Coleman, who was Cal Poly's leading receiver last year. You know, he's back. You know, they got a sophomore, Zedekiah Centers, who, who looked pretty sharp last year. They are replacing one of their all-time leading tacklers with Matt Shotwell on defense. You know, he's gone. But they've got an interesting defensive lineman, Eli Ponder, who had eight sacks, 11 TFLs. Got some other young talents on that side of the ball, too, like Xavier Oliphant. Fresno State's probably going to win this one on a walk. But I mean, if you're if you like watching FCS football, then I think Cal Poly is definitely worth keeping an eye on this year to see what kind of progress they finally make now that they've got most of the pieces together that they want to sort of make this program to, to make the program under Baldwin work. Yeah, I think it'd probably be a bit pesky on offense against that Fresno defense, perhaps just because what Bo Baldwin has done. So that could be a a good kind of a good early test instead of walking into next week where they host Oregon State. And Jonathan, Jonathan Smith is looking to uh, hopefully or maybe break through. Like, if I'm looking at Pac-12 stuff, Pac-12, no, I guess they're still technically doing divisions, but they're not. This year, it's whoever wins, the best two teams will go to the title mm-hmm. game. There's a chance where they could, like, to win the North is not out of the realm of possibility for them. They might be a little surprising because Washington. That's true. There, there is no surefire team in the North, is there? No, because Oregon's be up pretty high. But or did they beat Oregon last year? I know they beat Utah last year. I don't recall if they beat Oregon, but uh, I don't have that in front. Hold of on, me. I have it here. Let's look, look, look. They beat Stanford. They beat Arizona. No, they did lose to Oregon, twenty nine thirty eight. But we all obviously saw the Utah State bowl game. So they beat Utah, and Jonathan Smith is kind of a what they, is Oregon State a comparable Kansas State type thing where they kind of achieve above, but they're not quite there. It's because we're located and who they can get. But they're a program where, like, they have good expectations yeah, for, for this that, year. Yeah, that tracks. Just because Kansas State always can win the conference occasionally, be up there. And it, look, historically, with Mike Riley, when they had Sean Manning at quarterback, they've had some pretty good teams. They had a small downstretch when um, Gary Anderson decided to pull his little trick he did a couple times, just kind of quit up, quit up and quit, which were kind of the lean years a bit. But he's Jonathan Smith bringing them back up where they're a – Pretty good team, like above average team. When you, you beat the team that goes to Rose Bowl, they played the Mountain West champ pretty close. That was a tough loss for them last year, which we are fine hap- having happened with Utah State getting the win. But they're they're a team matchup where a matchup against this team where against Fresno State, it's it's at home, which helps. But it's don't overlook them. This isn't the Beavers from like four years ago. This is one of those games where like, I'm not going to say it's a guarantee win for Fresno State. Yeah. Yeah, and and, it's, and you know you bring up a couple of good points. You know what I would add to that is you know the offensive line is returning mostly intact, and and we talked about it with you know the, the couple times we've talked about Michigan so far with Air Force, uh, Oregon State was another one of those teams that was a Joe Moore Award finalist last year. They do have to replace two of their starters. You know Nathan Eldridge was like I I believe a four year starter and an All Conference performer. But they've got three starters from last year coming back, so they are mostly in good shape. I think their bigger challenge is replacing a guy like B.J. Baylor, yeah, thirteen, the running back who, 
yeah, if memory serves, he was the leading rusher in the Pac-12 last year. But, you know, if you're a Beavers fan, you can be optimistic about the fact that they do return two other guys, Sean Fenwick and Trey Lowe, each of whom averaged over five and a half yards per carry, you know, with roughly 125, 130 carries between them. So, you know, if they can stay healthy on that side of the ball, I think they still got the capacity to, to make some waves. The bigger challenge for them, which I'll mention it again when we get to our Boise State podcast down the line later in the summer, much different team at home than on the road. Undefeated at Research Stadium last year, mm-hmm. but only one win away from home. And to sort of bear that out, they averaged nearly 36 points a game You know when they were playing at home, plus four turnover margin. On the road, they only averaged 27 points a game, and they had a minus three turnover margin. Their one win was at USC, which I believe led to uh, Clay Helton being fired, if I recall. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, it should be a good game, and I don't think you can overlook Oregon State, but I, I would honestly be shocked if President State dropped this one at home. Same with me. The one interesting thing about just really quick at the quarterback, despite Chase Nolan being a fifth-year guy, um, Jonathan Smith reluctantly or did not – maybe not reluctantly is the right word – did not name a, a starter after spring football, which is kind of weird because they have senior Tristan uh, Gebbia who played hasn't played in since like 2020. November, whatever that means. Basically, didn't play last year. Yeah, I think he was injured last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he had, a, he had a hamstring. What it says here, hamstring injury in November 2020. So who knows how long if that's still prolonged or something different. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that he did not just, well, fifth-year guy, we're winning well, we're doing pretty good, go to bowl game, finish middle of the pack, Pac-12, beat USC, beat Utah, and eh, we don't have a starting quarterback. So. Okay, so so you know how I just mentioned that they were much better on the on, at home than on the road? Yeah. Uh, it is probably worth pointing out that Nolan is sort of emblematic of that. Ten touchdowns and one interception at home, nine touchdowns and nine interceptions on the road last year. I got a Fresno State win, but it'll be this will be a one of those games where because Fresno State won't be ranked. Obviously, I don't think I don't unless there's something weird. I don't see them being ranked after beating Cal Poly, Oregon State. They they uh, might receive some votes. Yeah, and Oregon State opens up against Boise State the week before. So unless they beat Boise State, they're not going to be ranked. But this would be a game where it's kind of a under the radar West Coast game that people should tune into because it could be, I think Fresno State probably win by at least ten or so points. But if they win that next one, though, I know I'm just saying. I'm just, what I'm telling I'm telling if Oregon State's will fly by and listen to this, this is a game people should be watching more than they probably are in week two. Yeah. Who cares about is Alabama Texas that weekend? Who cares? That game's gonna be 120 degrees at Austin and nobody cares. And Longhorns are gonna lose by 20. If they're lucky, <laughs> right? Only 20. That's what I say. If they're lucky. All right. They go to USC, <laughs> the Coliseum. I've heard of this team. Um, I've heard of this coach. Uh, is it Lincoln Riley? Is that how you say it? Correct? The guy who stole the Oklahoma Air Jordans, didn't return them, and people are pissed about him? That guy? Yeah. yeah. The, the guy who was so important to the historical success of the Oklahoma Sooners <laughs> that they named three inches of a highway <laughs> after him. That stuff. Is the bet the petty stuff of that is my favorite thing to discuss and talk about because even they brought in a Bob Stoops, you know, Lincoln Riley didn't invent Oklahoma football. I'm like, well, did you, Bob Stoops? You kept it going, but whatever. This is a people are over over overhyping USC, correct? Yes, and no. I mean, it, 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 it is really tempting when you look at exactly the kind of talent that yeah that Riley has been able to bring in you know Caleb Williams for one that's the obvious one 
Travis Dye, Jordan uh, Addison, know, the, tight ends from USC from Mario Oklahoma. Williams. Yeah, Mario Williams. And, yes. and oh, by the way, they also brought in a lot of pretty good talent on defense too. Solomon Bird, a former Wyoming Cowboy. Heard of him? Yeah. Is it USC? However, now? however, height. Akai Blackman. Don't play defensive so line. This goes on and on. <laughs> that's a problem. This, so, but but that's really the question, isn't it? Like the offense on paper looks like it could be awesome. If they can keep Caleb Williams upright, yeah, I remember reading it up and doing. Are they going to play enough defense for them to for that to make a difference? This game's going to be first to fifty, I think. Not kidding. I here's what I'm good at. This game going undefeated is difficult in the comp in any team, and so mm-hmm. this is a game to get them early, which is good because USC will. Let me pull their schedule here, but they what week three. I'm not, I need to see who USC has real quick. I got my thing up open in front of me. But point being, playing them early is ideal because, yeah, they have Caleb Williams, who for some reason is going to be – not for some reason, but for good reason, Heisman favorite of some of some sort, top five, Heisman finalist of some sort, like that type of range. Mm-hmm. But they bring in the Blitnikoff winner. They bring in Oregon's leading rusher, Travis Dye. But, again, if they get – going back to the spring game, yeah, he had some deep balls, did well, but the defense is garbage. I don't see Jay Kanner having any issue scoring points against his offense, throwing to Cropper, all these guys on this team who they have for Fresno State. They're going to score points. I mean, which is not to say that they don't have guys who can who can make plays. Like Nick Figueroa is a solid piece. Yeah. Tui Pulotu is a solid piece. Like they've got young guys who played pretty well up front last year. And so, yeah, I think it's a mostly a matter of I don't know. There's just like they, they, it's it's going to be an entirely new look on that side of the ball, which makes it really hard to project. That's what I'm getting. At. But here's the thing: like when you look at who they play throughout the year, like okay, they play Rice and then at Stanford. So playing a rivalry game week before is helpful because it's on the road. But when you look at who they play, I keep I keep saying look a million times. This offense, this is going to be probably the best offense they're going to face all year. I don't think that's a question. Utah doesn't throw the ball very well. Utah just run the ball a ton. Who knows? Cam Rising's a good quarterback, but I don't see they don't have receivers at Utah. Notre Dame probably should have a pretty good offense. UCLA's good, but Cal's no nothing. Colorado, Arizona, Washington State, mm, a little bit. They don't play Oregon this year. The Arizona State's a mess I mentioned. Oregon State's offense isn't explosive. This is going to be their biggest test for their defense all season. It comes in week three. It's just I think it'll come. Do you think do you think Fresno State is going to win this game? I have it as a loss, but it's a reluctant loss. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because can they go to win? I, if I'm going to, because it's weird. The reason I do this, and this is not the game I discussed with you earlier about the game. I think that's most important for their ultimate goals. The reason it's tough because yeah, you play Oregon State, Pac-12 team. You play another team. It's on the road. Talent wise, like going not necessarily talent wise, but say okay, coaching wise probably give the edge Lincoln Riley uh, quite a bit because Tedford's been good. The turnaround is impressive what he did before. What he did at Cal, he's had a good record, not quite to Lincoln Riley. It's last longer experiences there. Quarterback-wise, honestly, it's pretty I, it's pretty close because Jake Andrews done it more than Caleb Williams, right? Like more, he's played yeah, more. I like, would say. He's, he's a freshman who played four games last year. Like, you know what I mean? He didn't play a ton. He has the talent from recruiting wise. I'm not. This is not me putting him down or trying. Oh, Fresno State—they're amazing, the best. They're going to win. 
But there's reasons you bring in the guy from from Pitt, the Bolitnikov winner. Great. Travis Dye from Oregon running the ball. You have to figure it out at some point. It may be too soon to figure out how good they really could be. So this could be a game where they run into this team and it could be like a UCLA UCLA finish where it's 40 to 37 or 50 to 42 or something close where whichever team wins, it's going to be super close. And USC may figure it figure it out after they play Oregon State and Arizona State after this game. And may mm-hmm. like they could lose this game, but USC, USC probably is going eight and four this year. And this could be one of the four. But I, I'm not gonna predict I don't see this Fresno State team being that good to be undefeated against the entire entirety of the schedule. Because Oregon State's not an easy game they're playing the week before. That'll be quite difficult. And then are they looking ahead a little bit? Are they doing this or that? Oh, got USC, we're they're, if they beat Oregon State, they might be ranked going into that game. I don't know. It could be 2-0 and versus 2-0 because USC is playing Stanford and Rice, prob- probably 2-0. and mm-hmm. And this game's on regular Fox. It's 7.30 Pacific local time. It's not a win for me, but it's not. It's clearly a toss-up. It's a toss-up game for me. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. The only thing that would surprise me if either team wins by more than 17 points. That's the only surprise I would really see if it's a blowout for either way. Alright. So you, you went with a loss as well, correct? Yes. Any other thoughts about this particular matchup? And also, are you going to this game? Because you totally should. I might try, yeah. I do remember the last time we went to a USC game, it did not go well, so maybe that's still lingering in the back of your mind. <laughs> I keep bringing up these bad thoughts, sorry. I forgive you. You hate me for that. <laughs> for that. <laughs> Next week at UConn, win by 30 points, move on, right? Anything else to say about the Huskies with uh, Jim Moore Jr.? We discussed him in a pre- prior oh. podcast at some point. Uh, yes, we did during our Utah State podcast. Where- and I will add to that to say that while their defense was overmatched last year, you know they, they allowed 6.23 yards per play against FBS teams. A lot of that was because the offense just didn't offer much help at all from week to week. But, you know, Jim Moore is inheriting some pretty decent pieces on that side of the ball. Like, they've got a pair of quality linebackers in uh, Jackson Mitchell, Ian Swenson. Last year, the the two of them combined for 193 tackles and and 10.5 TFLs. That'll play. Same thing with defensive end Kevin Jones. Two sacks, 7.5 TFLs. And uh, interestingly, according to Phil Steele, like, his, his projection for the entire secondary is sophomores. So, so even if they aren't great this year, which again, Fresno State should win this one going away, um, you know they they might have something for for more to build upon in the future. And he's he's honestly a good coach. So them getting him to go out there means he just wants to coach football. And I think they yeah. it could be sooner than later get to a bowl game in a couple of years. Like I think he's that good enough. Despite him getting fired at UCLA and other places, and NFL stint wasn't great, but. He's out of mm-hmm. the coaches they could have got. Like that's a pretty big name for them to land on. So yeah, next week this is you notice it's three road third games in a row, right? For this Fresno State team, that's not helpful. Yeah, there is a bye week between the USC and the UConn game. No, isn't UConn the bye week by itself? I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, too easy of a joke. They go to Boise State. What are your thoughts on this game? You begin because Boise State's your mortal enemy, I believe. Right? Correct. <laughs> uh, so. I think it's more instructive to look at that first four games of conference play because other than the trip to New Mexico, like that's going to make or break a lot of the conference race at Boise state home versus San Jose state at New Mexico home versus San Diego state. I think it depends on what Spartans team shows up this year. 
If it's like last year, I'm not concerned. But if it's 2020, then there's issues with that being a pretty difficult stretch of games. I think they're. I think if they're healthy, they're going to be better than they were last year. Like even if they don't mm-hmm. get all the way back to their 2020 level, they should be like no fun to play. Especially the defense uh, in the turns same way. Around. In the same way that they weren't uh, in, in two years ago. Honestly, though, like this stretch makes me think of okay, with everything that we just talked about, where are Fresno State's shortcomings likeliest to catch up with them? I mentioned running back depth and, and defensive the, line. An offensive line. Oh yeah, that, that too. Yes, sorry. Yeah, and so so I I think I think I look at Boise State and I look at San Diego State. Obvious for obvious and reasons, right? I, <laughs> and I look at how I project those two teams in particular as being maybe the two most likely teams to exploit where things could go wrong for Fresno State this year. In what way? So I have those down. I have those both down as losses. Oh my goodness! Both of those. Yes. So let's. I got a San Jose State victory, New Mexico victory. Yes. So when we look at Boise State. What's what shortcomings are they gonna over? Like what are they gonna overpower Fresno State with then? Because for me, it depends. For that, like Boise State has similar issues to Fresno State: offensive line issues, running back issues. They also have new receivers. Stefan Cobbs is coming in. Their offense, yeah, they have Hank Bachmeyer, but he can't be upright. Their offense isn't may not necessarily be their strength this year. So where do you see them overpowering boy Fresno State? Like where's the advantage? Well, clear. We'll talk about it more when we get to the when we get to the the Broncos podcast. Of course, the defense. Okay, yeah, defense really good. Okay, and then because you know that was really I mean again impact defensive players really hamstrung the Bulldogs last year. It's true. And then what about San Diego State? Because they have a new quarterback. Same thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Defense. So even though the first uh, again, State, well, again, we'll talk I about it we more will. at length when we get to the Aztecs, but it's I, I a little personally, bit. I think people are maybe underselling the Aztecs a little bit. On defense or overall? Overall. Hmm. Again, for me with them, it's well, we'll more get to it. Qu- quarterback is what I always come back to, and they have a new running back. For me, defense shouldn't be a question. But this not to say you're wrong, because you're probably right. Who knows if you're probably more right than me in some of this stuff. But for Fresno State offense, I don't think any defense in the conference is going to do all that much unless, like you said, the self-inflicted wounds they screw up. The offensive line has a poor game, which could be the case because of returning talent or lack of elite talent there. I have them winning all four of those games. Really? And the biggest game I have, we, go, okay. we want to go back to the okay. biggest, biggest game on their schedule for the entire year to reach the pinnacle of a – First time Cotton Bowl birth has to be the game, a conference game at Boise State. Because if you don't win a conference, you're screwed, essentially. And okay. when you look at the schedule overall, that's their most difficult game within the league because it's on the road and it's probably a team that there's a chance they could see again the championship game, depending how Air Force and Utah State and even Wyoming come into play. But that I think is their and most important have- game, most important game for them all year. More than USC. Most important game they have to win. I do have them winning the last four games, though. Home versus Hawaii yeah. at UNLV at Nevada. Home versus Wyoming. Nevada, they should easily win. UNLV was close last year, but I don't see them taking that step. Hawaii, new coach, obviously. Lots of new stuff over there. New quarter, well, newish, not really. Sort of a new quarterback. Out of those four, I'd probably say Wyoming's the most likely for them to slip up if it, if they're going to do that. 
Wyoming always seems to turn those games into fist fights. And as you say, the defense is where they could come into play. Exactly. Wasn't it 17 to 13 last year? Or no, it was it 17 to last year? No, it was 17 to nothing. That's right. But Hayner had like 95 yards passing. Yeah. But also like Fresno Fresno State hasn't scored more than 27 points against Wyoming. Uh, uh, Excuse me. I lost my train of thought. They haven't scored more than 27 points in a game against Wyoming since 2013. So weird. The last four matchups dating back to 2014, 17 points, 27, 13, 17. So how many, so they played last year. They played, when, when did they play before last year? So they played in 2018 and 2017. They won 27 to three and 13 to seven. And those were their conference championship years, right? Or to conference title game years, right? Yes. That's what I was trying to get, trying to remember like how far back was it. Well, if it's their one in 11 year. Well, technically years. 2014 was too, and they lost by four touchdowns. Okay. Then there, never mind. I was, <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to see where they match up timeline wise. So that is a, that is a, a mild concern where their good teams struggled and even lost in those situations. Mm-hmm. So I have yeah. them 11 and one and um, undefeated in conference play. So good luck Bulldogs. <laughs> so I have them, I have them nine and three, six and two in conference. How comfortable are you with those nine wins? Because their win total, I'm looking at like DraftKings and, and like Bet AG, they're eight and a half. Would you easily take the over on that? Yes. Okay. Because right now the over, it's it's a minus bet, but that kind of makes sense. Do you see? Because is okay. I know it's difficult to say, but what's your best case scenario for them? Because every team they play, could they beat every team on their schedule? Like if it's a one week game, matchup matchup, you're kind of looking like. Do you think that's a possibility for them to be? Not that they will win every yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, if, if, the if, we're, if we're going back to one of our original questions, yeah. can they make a New Year's Six Bowl? Yes. This is a team with enough talent to challenge for a New Year's Six Bowl, and they have the schedule to do it, especially if the toughest teams on their schedule also play up to their potential. Yeah, because they're – Which I, I – you know, like I think, you know, I, I have them pegged for three losses, but I don't think they're going to get blown out in any of those games. Let's put it that way. But I, and I expect big things of San Diego State – in Boise State, which we'll talk more about later in the summer, as well as USC. The best thing for them is every I know because their home game, their road games are not very difficult. Yes, Boise and USC exceptions, but Mexico, UNLV, Nevada, easy victories. All the tougher teams outside of Boise and League play come to their place. Like I said, San Jose State, um, San Diego State, mm-hmm. Wyoming, those come to Fresno to play. And that their schedule sets up nicely, even like I don't whatever Oregon State USC's that's a difficult stretch just because of the depth the teams have and both those are going to be bowl teams but if they go eleven and one do you think okay let's wrap up on this year I know there's a lot going on because Cincinnati whoops, Cincinnati's really good in the American they're probably the biggest threat out there maybe Houston as well and whoever else I'm not them. a believer in Houston but continue I know I'm just I'm just saying what's out there neither am I at the moment I'm just saying they're let's try to tank and redshirt everybody was not the best ideal a couple of years ago with Dina Holgerson. They have the staff. They have the money to bring in. I'm with you. I think they'll be good, but I don't think they're going to be great. If they go 11-1 and their only loss is USC, are they going to to the Cotton Bowl? Like, What's their chances of doing that? I feel like that's an article. There you go. That's what, I need to get back to writing. Because, I, I, don't have, because I don't have like other teams' schedules in front of me. I hear you. I just think that. But that would, man, that would be super tempting. That I... Just real quick, because I think Cincinnati is the next team out there because BYU has to be selected and they wouldn't even take up other spots, but there's only one at large spot. So they don't they wouldn't mm. fall in the mix. 
maybe Coastal with Grayson McCall if they have a great year. But really quick, like Cincinnati, they do play Indiana and at Arkansas, and Arkansas is an improved team. So, but they don't have whatever. Depending on what you think of America, they have to go to UCF. They got this. I mean, maybe, maybe. But new quarterback, obviously, secondary is not going to be nearly as good as last year, just because losing the top. Thank you. Thank you. Thinking about it is giving me anxiety. Though. I'm just. That's <laughs> what's fun about this. Come on, it's middle of summer. Come on, so we got to talk about this stuff. Maybe. Maybe. That's that's a good. I mean, that's that's the thing about college football. Anything can happen, right? Because typically, yes, and typically, it's undefeated that needs to make it there as well. There's been only a couple teams with one, more than one loss or one loss or more. Like Boise State had a couple losses, went to the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I don't recall the others, but I know there's been a few recent years where they've had they haven't had to been undefeated. That's what I'm thinking. There's a, yeah. a very good chance that if they're 11 one and one losses to USC and USC isn't four and eight again. And they beat Boise State, who's going to be good, San Diego State, and people trust what those teams are, despite them being within this conference that has some really good teams. We'll see. But I'd put it in a uh, top 10 percentile they'd get there if they were – or not whatever. Yeah, not – you know what I'm getting at. 10%. That's fair. Not not 10% chance, but within the yeah, 90th percentile of them getting there to make a New Year's Six game if they go 11-1 and only losses to USC. So <sighs> – I, I get it, man. Hey, my team, University of Utah, is getting like fringe playoff love. I'm like, oh boy, they don't have a receiver I, I that wanna, I trust. I, I want to believe, but like, stay with me. I'm like, my, like my tw- twenty years of history makes that really hard to do. Because remember, anyway, but they, I'm, I'm I'm probably projecting at this point, so we could probably write this. No, you're not wrong because remember they were going to beat Boise State, Derek Carr, and then or David Carr, excuse me, not Derek Carr, David Carr back in the day. I'm like, oh boy, that was a problem. But those are in the past. They've Exercise most of those demons by winning a, winning conference titles, going to championship games, and doing this type of stuff this year. We expect so. Thanks for listening, MWR.com. Matt, go go relax and don't think about going to the Cotton Bowl this year and buying your tickets to Jerry World and flying into DFW anytime soon. So we'll see how that goes down the road. <laughs> Would you go if they go? You have to go, right? You're going to go to the game, correct? If they make a New Year's Six game. You know what? I will I will do my best to commit to that. Yes, because it would be at the Cotton Bowl, so. Just saying, that's where it'd be this year in Jerry World. And that's a pretty nice state. I've been a couple times. So do your best. That's all I can ask for. Maybe we can uh, figure something out to get people down there and get you down there. Maybe we can get, here's what we do we get you a credential pass and he's got to pay your own way down there. Maybe that could work. That could save you a couple hundred there bucks. Right. That's a possibility how it could work. So no no pressure, right? Just saying, I get it. Um, yeah, no pressure. MWR.com. Check it out. <laughs> Subscribe to our podcast. Like it. Twitter, MWC Wire, our next um, – are we going full West Division on our next poll to, since we need to balance out a bit? Not necessarily. Okay. We'll, we'll throw some mountain teams in there. we still got two more to do on that side. We have Air Force and – No, New Mexico oh, and Boise. Oh, geez, what am I getting at? Jeez. Apologies. I don't have my uh, full sheet in front of me. New Mexico and Boise would be the mountain teams next. So we'll see yes. you next time. And just, yeah, we got our countdowns coming up. We have our preseason stuff. Mid-July is going to be a big month for us for all sorts of stuff going on. Camps, preseason, media day stuff, um, all conference stuff. But, yeah, we'll see you next time. And just keep checking MWR.com. We'll be back for more um, writing, podcast, and nonsense online.